0: And we ask that you would take this service and be glorified in it. Help us as we investigate your word, that you would encourage and strengthen us in the things that are in your word. And Lord, that you would just give us grace to continue serving thee till you come forth. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Of Matthew, Matthew chapter 15. And uh, last. Time we were together last week, we got through the feeding of the 5,000, and of course, the uh, commentary that is in John's book concerning that, chapter 6, is 71 verses long, I believe, 71 or 72. And most of that is commentary on the feeding of the 5,000, and it's really truly a pivotal point in the ministry. Of Jesus, because this is the first time he purposefully words things and puts things to, not to draw people to him, but to push them away. You see, we have this funny idea that the gospel message that the Bible is love everybody, and that we all ought to just be friends, and and you know I. Uh, If I read one more, we've got to stop all of these divisions between the denominations in the body of Christ. I think I'm going to get sick, regurgitate. Uh, The body of Christ, read your Bible, is the local church. That's the only way that you can have the scripture fulfilled when Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. Uh, Because if you have all churches represented there, there are churches that are today that weren't 100 years ago. There are churches that were 500 years ago that aren't here today. In fact, I know churches in my lifetime that have started And people in the church began doing ungodly things like gossiping and fighting among each other and literally closed the church down. Now, if when Jesus is speaking of all churches, then the devil certainly has prevailed, has he not? That would not be a true statement. But if he's talking of each individual local church a representation of the entire assembly of believers that will be assembled in heaven one day, we're not there yet. We're here. Unity is supposed to be here. I just got finish, uh, had a call this afternoon. Uh, I knew it was going bad when the missionary's wife called me up instead of the missionary. And Well, I'm just calling for my husband. I said, well, I probably need to speak to your husband. Oh, he's right here, but he was working on the computer. And so he got on the phone and began to tell me different things. I said, you know, we're not here to straighten you out, and we certainly don't want you trying to straighten us out, but everything you tell me, we're just not on the same page. Why would you say that? And so I tried to explain that to him, and he ended up saying, well, I don't like Heartland. I said, well, if you don't like Heartland Baptist Bible College... Uh, Tough, but why am I wasting my time? Have a good day. We're not here to get along with people who disagree with us. What we are here to do is be in agreement in our church with what the Bible teaches. Amen? And that necessarily, that demands that I get along with some other churches. How many churches do you have supporting you right now, Brother Newberger? Okay, we got 55 different churches supporting the Newberger family to start a church in Brooklyn. Guess what? We are working hand-in-hand hand with 55 other churches to see a church planted there. Get back to Heartland. We have almost 400 churches from corner to corner in this country that we are working with to have that Bible college functioning. Amen? You, if you took the 70-some other missionaries that we support every month and take all of the churches that support each one of those 70-some missionaries, good night. you're talking a lot of churches that we are cooperating with to serve the Lord. And no pope is telling us what to do. No grand poobah, no district moderator, any of those things, we cooperate on the basis of this book called the Bible. Now, what we have going on in the life of Jesus and in his ministry, and we pick this up in Matthew chapter 15, then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, why do, those, why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Now, how many of you, your mother, told you to wash your hands before you eat? Amen? I, I think just about everybody. I mean, it's good to wash your hands. What this was talking about was the tradition of the elders. You see, the Jewish people had what we call our Old Testament. Those were the Jewish scriptures. Then they had, I get this mixed up every time, they had the Mishnah and then the Talmuds. The Mishnah was the commentary on the scriptures. So the Old Testament, you can hold in your hand today. The Mishnah, the commentary on the Bible, would take an entire bookshelf because it's the explanation, the commentary on the scriptures. But they had already taken it a step further. They now had the Talmuds which were the commentaries on the commentary. And that was an entire library in and of itself. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees came from a conclusion, wrongly so, that everybody knew the Scriptures, and so what their job was was to protect the Scriptures I want to challenge you that in 20 years of being pastor of this church, I've never once tried to protect this book. That's not my job. God's book protects itself. What our job is, is to try to believe it and obey it. That's what we're trying to do. And the traditions of the elders, I guess this is one of my favorite ones, included 300 regulations on how to handle Egyptian cucumbers. I'm not kidding. I'm not making this up. The entire law of God consists of the people who count it, 613 commandments. Most of those had to deal with the operation of the tabernacle and the service in the tabernacle and later the temple. They had made up 300 additional regulations on how to take care of Egyptian cucumbers so you would not transgress the law. Now, I want you to understand that there's more than one type of cucumber. Everything they had. They had traditions on how you were to wash your hands. Now washing your hands are good, but you had to wash them a certain way, a certain amount of time, and ivory soap and antibiotic soap and all that stuff, that hadn't been invented yet. So we're not talking about germ-free here. What we're talking about is following someone else's regulations. I think most of you know, we've mentioned it often here, how excited I am about our mayor trying to regulate the soft drinks that we drink. I don't know about you, but that's just frankly none of his business. If I want a 64-ounce soft drink, my wife will get after me, not the mayor. Amen? The simple truth of the matter is, when people regulate that way, here's basically what they're saying, and the reason why I'm insulted. I think I ought to have enough understanding as to what I can drink and the quantity I need without the government coming in and explaining to me how much I ought to drink. What they're basically saying is, you are so stupid that you don't even know how to drink properly, so we're going to help you learn how to drink properly. Does anybody else see that? Well, the Pharisees here, they were saying, you are so dumb you don't even know how to wash your hands. So we have a book on hand washing. And I'm not kidding, they did. When Paul said that he was concerning the law blameless, he was talking about all of these traditions, and they were sitting there just watching and waiting until the disciples messed up on one of the traditions so that they could accuse Jesus of not caring about loving God. You see, they had substituted their traditions for the Word of God. And that's what every religious tradition that's ever been invented by mankind does. I remember years ago we had a person come to our services and I found out after they were coming for quite a while that they were sneaking out to... uh, 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 midnight mass on Saturday night just so they could be sure that they had all their bases covered. And I said, well, wait, wait a minute. What's going on here? If your faith is in Jesus Christ, then why are you doing this? Well, actually, the truth of the matter is, the faith was actually in the Midnight Mass because that's what they wouldn't give up. Their faith, the faith of the Pharisees, was in their traditions and not in the Word of God. And Jesus is going to illustrate that very plainly and very simply as we go through here. Let's come down here. Verse 3. But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and thy mother. Honor, honor thy father and thy mother. And he that curses father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift. By whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Now, if you read the parallel passage in Mark, it uses a unique word in your Bible. He uses the word Corbin. Now, the word Corban simply means something dedicated to God. Now, the Pharisees had taken the Old Testament law that said you could take a field and give it to the Lord. But in the Jubilee, in the year of release, it then would go back and revert back to the original owner. That way, families did not lose their properties. Wouldn't that be neat if your family lived in a certain area and owned a property... And you knew that no matter what, that property was going to stay in your family permanently. That's what God had designed the land of Israel to be. They were to raise their food on their own property. And even if they got impoverished and had to sell part of that property, they could only sell it for the number of time until the year of release. Well... Those property ownership laws were not in effect in this time because the Romans had come in and taken over everything. No one was living in there. The Samaritans had the whole central part of Israel. And so you could not live on your family lands and all of these things because it had belonged to somebody else. When Nebuchadnezzar moved everybody out, He moved other people in. That's where the Samaritans came from. So they came up with their own version. And what they would do is they would dedicate their lands and all of their income to the Lord. That way when the Romans came along and said, hey, I see you have these fields out here and this a uh, big beautiful mansion right here and says your tax rate is going to be da 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 da. Oh no. You see, I am just the holder in trust. All of these properties belong to the temple. They've been dedicated to God. I only get a small subsistence salary out of this. And so you can't tax me on all that. Boy, the IRS was alive and well in Jesus' day, now wasn't it? And the tax cheats, I mean, they had everything planned. But the unfortunate part of their tradition was, if your mother or father needed to be supported, that's what the Bible means when it says honor thy father and thy mother, it means you're supposed to support them when they can't support themselves. Oh, but mom and dad, you don't understand. Everything I have is dedicated to God. All I get is a small subsistence. And of course, you know, I have to maintain the house and, and, and all of this, but I can't even let you live here because every empty room is dedicated to the Lord. And they refuse to take care of their parents in order to keep their tradition and cheat the Romans out of tax money doesn't that sound righteous the whole purpose of their tradition was to be dishonest because if you make a certain income and you lie about your income are you not being dishonest don't get a big amen on that one do you But this is what Jesus was teaching here. And he comes down and gives a parable here in chapter 10. Uh, I mean, verse 10 of chapter 15. It says, And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth the man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth the man. You see, the Pharisees said, if you didn't wash your hands before you ate, you were defiled because you had dirty hands. That if you didn't take a bath at certain occasions, that you were defiled and you were dirty. If you didn't uh, do, follow all of their little rules and their regulations, you were defiled. Jesus said, listen the Wickedness doesn't come from the outside in. Wickedness comes from the inside out. Wickedness comes from a wicked heart. And you need to understand that you will be defiled by the wrong things you think far easier than with a set of dirty hands. And so the the truth of the matter is, uh, Peter, see if you can lend a hand there, okay? Probably needs to go downstairs, I would think. But um, The Pharisees got all indignant about this. And Jesus goes down and explains the parable here later, and we've got to get moving or we're not going to cover anything out. But verse 19 says, For out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, theft, false witnesses, blasphemy. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. So Jesus is trying to explain to them the struggle is going on. Are you going to follow the traditions of the elders? Because the Pharisees weren't paying any attention to the Bible whatsoever other than getting up and reading it. Uh, I had a fellow visit to church this week and wanted uh, us to provide certain things for him. And I I said, now, uh, what church do you guys go to? Oh, uh, well, we go to such and such a church in such and such a place. And way, way, way far away from where they live. And I said, you know... Uh, why are you coming here? You don't attend our church at all, but you want a handout from here. And they, they, well, uh, we believe all churches teach the Bible. I said, I don't want to be rude, but the church you mentioned is a denominational church. They haven't taught the Bible there for over 100 years. And you sit here and you go, why do these things happen? It's because people stop reading their Bible and start listening to what other people say. This was going on in Jesus' day. It's still going on in our day. You have got to take personal responsibility to read your Bible and confirm that what is being taught is actually written down in the pages of the scriptures. And we work very diligently. I've often told people, I said, listen, I, I, I know that on occasion I put Moses on the ark. It wasn't Moses, it was Noah. Uh, you know, just kind of look at me funny, wave your hand there. We'll, we'll try to get those kind of mistakes all straightened out but we work very hard that the main message is just what the Bible teaches because we cannot trust in the traditions of men. And the battle is going on between the scribes and the Pharisees and Jesus because what Jesus did was just teach the words of God. They were teaching the tradition of the elders. And back and forth, and it culminates in Jesus' trial and subsequent crucifixion. They thought if they put him to death, that would be the end. They had no idea that in putting him to death, they were actually fulfilling the scriptures, which is kind of pathetic now, isn't it? But I want to challenge you, the reason people do such crazy things in the name of religion is because you either have to accept what the Bible says or you have to follow the traditions of men. Why do you think these two boys were so intent on killing people in this country? It's because of their religion. Regardless of what you hear in the news media, their religion teaches the slaughter of innocent people with whom they have nothing to do as a means of furthering their religion. I reject that kind of religion. I don't believe that the God of the Bible wants you to kill people when he said, whosoever will. We believe in the freedom of choice, but we reserve the right to read this book called the Bible And when you disagree with it, say, you're wrong. Because if we don't, how will you ever be challenged to change? Now, I know that's not friendly. But I'll tell you what. If I go to see a doctor and I have something wrong with me, I don't want him to be friendly. I want him to tell me what's wrong. And if he tells me he's going to make me real sick to get me better, okay, well, let's get it over with. Because the other option isn't very nice. Now is it? So we're looking here at What Jesus did, and Jesus withdraws himself, and we'll come down to verse 21, and it says, Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. So Jesus was right around the the Sea of Galilee here, and they they had Jewish men traveled all the way from Jerusalem, 60-some miles, just so they could examine Jesus and his disciples and start nitpicking at him, Because they knew it wouldn't be long before they found at least one of the traditions of the elders that Jesus wasn't paying attention to. After all, Jesus hadn't been to their school. He hadn't read all of their things. And even if he had, which he had not, they could invent something else and slip it in there. They were going to entrap Jesus. Jesus then turns it on them and say, your traditions negate the word of God. You've got to make a choice. Either it's your tradition or the word of God. And so Jesus broke off and left and, and went north into the land of Lebanon today, uh, north of Israel there, Tyre and Sidon. If you read the passage in the book of Mark, it says, but he could not be hid. Why couldn't Jesus be hid? Because there was a lady following them. And she was crying out, "Jesus, help me!" And it says Jesus didn't answer her a word. Now, isn't that rude when somebody is asking for your help and you just ignore them? Believe me, it's going to get worse. And the disciples went to her and said, Lady, he's not going to talk to you. Just go away. And she would not be put off. In fact, she made such a loud noise that everybody, we, where I grew up in Maryland, we'd say, everybody in the county heard her. I mean, they all knew. And she wouldn't stop. And the disciples finally went back to Jesus and said, we've done everything we can. Will you get this lady to leave us alone? And so, let's look what Jesus said here. Verse 25, or verse 24. But he answered and said, I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus said, I'm a Jewish man. I am a Jewish prophet. My main duty is to the house of Israel. You're not a Jewish person. In fact, if you wanted a really bad resume, she had it. The Bible call we we call her the Syrophoenician woman. She lived in the land of Syria, which is known for its love of Jewish people, even to this day. Uh, actually, it's the love of dead Jewish people. They hate each other. They have fought wars since the days of King David. There has never been peace between the Syrians and the Israelites. So that's a bad footstep. She's living in the wrong place. But she was a Greek by culture. It was the Greek leader, Antiochus Epiphanes, who had gone into the temple and poured pig's blood on the golden altar that was a symbol of prayers to God. I'll tell you what, there was not a lot of friendship between the Jewish people and Greek culture. But on top of that, if we traced her lineage back, she was a Canaanite. I mean, you take every test. This woman flunked. Uh, The Canaanites were the people that plotted against Israel and that was the land uh, that uh, Israel had conquered when they came out of the land of Egypt and there was still animosity and hatred going on there. And so Jesus tells her, I'm not going to talk to you because you're not Jewish. Verse 25 says, Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. Now look at this next phrase here. It says, but he answered and said, it is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. Now, let me tell you something. How could you be more harsh, cruel, rude than what just happened here? But before you pass judgment on Jesus... I want you to listen very closely. Jesus was showing something here. He was putting faith on display. You see most people come to God with this idea. Lord, I'm I'm not so bad. I mean, I'm not as bad as them over there. I'm not as bad as that person over there. We used to do some work with the mission and it was just almost funny to watch. Uh, A downtown mission. These are men that were living on the streets and men that were victims of drug abuse and every type of immorality and sin known to mankind. But if you'd hear them talking about to each other... Say yeah, yeah. I've really messed up, but I'm not as bad as he is. Well, you're still here in the mission for some reason, are you not? Visited a Rikers to different people at the Rikers Island, the, the state penitentiary there, and again the same exact thing. I was just out with my friends. It was it was my friend that really did the bad thing, not me. I haven't talked to any guilty guys over there. That's the way everybody is, especially when they come to church. I don't like it when you tell me how bad I am. Well, if I don't tell you how bad you are, why would you go to Jesus and get it fixed, my friend? You see, what Jesus was doing was showing you and I, through the testimony of this woman, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's not what you've done or could have done or haven't done that should have done. It's about Jesus. Because she answers him this way. Look what it says here. Then she said, verse 27 Truth, Lord, she said, You're right. You don't take food that belongs to your children and feed it to the dogs. You're exactly correct. Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. You know what she was saying? She said, Lord, I do not deserve your mercy. But all I need is just a little crumb. I do not need a great act of God. I just need a little of your mercy. Because a little of your mercy will solve all of my problems. What does it say? God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. If you didn't humble yourself, you didn't get saved. Because humility... Understanding that you do not deserve God's salvation is how you approach to God to get salvation. Isn't that true? God will not accept you because of who you are. He accepts you because of what Jesus did. Jesus was not trying to be mean to this poor woman what he was doing because he knew the faith that dwelled in her heart. He knew that she could handle the difficulty and would make a testimony of what true faith in Jesus really is. If you're going to get saved, you've got to come to Jesus just like the Syrophoenician woman did. I don't deserve his mercy. But he has promised it to whosoever will call upon his name. Amen? And Jesus is going to make a statement here that he only makes one other time in all the Bible. Verse 28, Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, here is the statement, Great is thy says "You had great faith." Does anybody remember the only other person in the Bible Jesus said had great faith? It was the Roman centurion. Both of these people who Jesus said had great faith were not Jewish. Jesus was not against non-Jewish people, but he had a ministry to fulfill. He had God's word to obey. And he was able to take these two people and demonstrate to you and I today what great faith is. It's simply believing in Jesus Christ. By the way, isn't this the exact opposite of the scribes and Pharisees at the beginning of this story, who were sitting there trying to evaluate Jesus on how he matched up to their tradition, and because he didn't match up to their tradition, they rejected Jesus. I'll tell you what. I will gladly admit my inability to deserve God's grace. But I'm so glad that he gives it. Amen? Amen. And so, she, her daughter was healed. Jesus answered her prayer. And then Jesus left Tyre and Sidon and came back down into the land of Galilee and the Bible says here that he went up into a mountain and sat down, and great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. Insomuch, verse 31, that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb speak, the maimed to behold, the lame to walk, and the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. Then, said, then Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat and I will not send them away fasting lest they faint in the way. Now, we read here as we go through the story that for three days people had been coming to Jesus. As far as we understand, if we go back to the Sea of Galilee, Tyre and Sidon was 11 o'clock, way off the face of the clock. Jesus now comes and crosses in a diagonal to the southwest corner of the sea. This was not far from where Mark chapter 5, the demoniac at Gadara was healed. And when they heard that Jesus was there, they just brought everybody that had anything wrong with them and put them at Jesus' feet, and it says Jesus healed them. Hundreds of people is the implication. The crowd here is going to be somewhere around 10,000 people, 4,000 men, besides women and children. Easily could have been much more than 10,000. Could you imagine how loud you would have to speak that 10,000 people could hear you? And Jesus did this for three years. Days running. And he said, I'm not going to send the people away hungry. I want you to feed them. Now, the disciples should have been, uh uh-oh, last week's lesson, feeding of the 5,000. Jesus took just a little bit, and he fed all these people. But what did they do? The same faithlessness that they had exampled before, they did again, and This time, apparently, they had a few little fishes and some loaves. Uh, They had a snack for themselves, but they didn't have enough for everybody else. They gave it to Jesus and all were fed. Seven baskets were took up. And then they cross over the sea, back to the western shore of Galilee, and we have... More questioning for Jesus. Let's just turn to Mark chapter 8. And we'll try to finish here. I want to just tie this in. What we're doing is just going through the stories. Mark chapter 8 and verse 11. And the Pharisees came forth and began to question with him, seeking a sign from heaven, tempting him. Now I want to ask you a question here. Was this the first time somebody had asked Jesus to prove that he was the Messiah? No. Do you remember Mark chapter, I mean Luke chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was tempted of the devil? What did the devil say? If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread after Jesus hadn't eaten. You know what? People are always looking. They say, prove the Bible's the Word of God. If you don't want to believe the Bible's the Word of God, there's absolutely no way I can prove it to you. If you're willing to accept the Word of God for what it says, there's more proof than you could ever imagine in the, book of, in the Bible. Take the book of Daniel. Daniel it is so accurate in its prophecy that most modern Bible scholars refuse to believe that it's prophecy. They say it's history. That it could not have been written hundreds of years before the events happened during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar and his uh, derelict grandson, uh, Belshazzar. But the Bible says it was. Now, nobody can foretell the future. In fact, there's some people that have tried. You know what they call it? Insider trading. You go to jail for those kinds of things. When you try to plan the future, don't do that. But God can tell the future before it began. Jesus himself fulfilled over 600 prophecies when he came to earth the first time. How in the world could you manipulate that? It's not possible. But if you don't believe the Bible, nothing I can tell you will make you believe the Bible. But I'll tell you this, the Bible's right about one thing. It says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It says, there's none righteous, no, not one. It says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Those aren't tough verses to understand now, are they? But you have to choose to believe them. They were tempting him just like the devil did. And Jesus gave them this answer. He said, there's no sign that's going to be given you. I'm not going to try to prove to you that I'm the son of God because you've already seen all the miracles that I do and you have chosen to reject me. In uh, Mark's relation of this story, Jesus is going to say, listen, you can look at the clouds in the sky and you can tell what the weather is going to do before it happens. How many of you have ever seen a big old storm moving across the Hudson River? I mean, you can just see the whole horizon turn black. You know it's going to be a big rainstorm. How many of you have seen a nor'easter move in? I mean, it just comes from the south and everything turns a light shade of weird green and you know it's going to be a bad storm. You know what? Jesus said, you guys are smart enough to discern the weather. Why in the world can't you read your Bible and discern the times? It's because you're too busy with tradition and not busy enough with what's written down. And so now we move to Matthew chapter 16. And well, since we're in the book of Mark, let's just uh, stay there and uh, move down to verse 13. And he left them and entered into the ship again and departed to the other side. Now when the disciples had forgotten to take bread, neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf, he charged them, saying, Take heed, weware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It's because we have no bread. And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not yet, neither understand, have Ye yet your heart, yet hardened, having eyes, see ye not, and having ears, hear ye not, and do ye not remember when I break the five loaves among five thousand, how many baskets of fragments took ye up? They say unto him, twelve. And when the seven among four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said, seven. And he said unto them, How is it that ye do not understand Jesus said beware of the leaven of the Pharisees you see the Pharisees had added something to the word of God when you add something that doesn't belong there you're in trouble now my wife makes wonderful cornbread. But all she would have to do is add about 3% arsenic and she would have rat poison. I'm glad my wife's never done that. Amen. It does not take much poison to destroy a lot of good. Does anybody remember when Brother Carson Hall was here preaching? He put a glass of water on the pulpit which we normally have in case the preacher gets dry and then he reaches into his pocket and pulls all the lint and stuff out of it and drops it in the water and sticks his finger in there and stirs it all up and says now how many people want to drink of water? People were turning green. Oh, I can't even think about that. That's what Jesus was trying to say. You can't add anything to God's word and still have God's words it becomes something else then he goes back to Bethsaida and they bring a blind man and Jesus heals him and I love this story and we'll be done in just a moment verse 23 and he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. And he sent him away to his house saying, Neither go into the town nor tell it in any town. You see... Jesus believed in healing people. But he didn't make them public examples. Amen? And this is one of the only miracles in the Bible where Jesus actually had to touch the man twice in order to fully accomplish the miracle. Now, I'm I'm just going to offer... An idea here, something to think about, why this story came in. Now, again, I want us to just take the picture here, the whole story that was happening. Last week, we were the feeding of the 5,000. Where did that occur? Just a little east of Bethsaida, on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus has been back and forth across that sea several times, traveled the whole way northwest into the land of Lebanon, and then came back into the land of Israel and crossed the sea a couple more times. No one had an excuse not to know what Jesus taught, number one. Jesus refused to honor the people who honored themselves, And yet he gave more than ample message for the people who wanted to believe to believe. And when people brought this blind man to test Jesus, Jesus took him away all in private and healed this man so that his faith would be in God. Now that's where our faith needs to be. Everything that Jesus did was to draw our faith back to his person. Amen? Not a Jesus that serves us, but a Jesus that we can serve. There's a difference. Not a Jesus that meets our expectations, but a Jesus that judges us as sinners and yet still loves us and responds to faith, obedience in his word. He doesn't care where you've been or what you've done. He answered the prayer of the Syrophoenician woman, not because of who she is or was, but because her faith was in Jesus Christ. And he'll do the same. But don't get the idea that you can order Jesus around. He is not here to serve you. We are here to serve him. Because he saved us from our sins. And all God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you tonight. And we ask that you would do your work in our hearts and lives. That you would let us see what is in the scripture. And you would help us to understand that our faith must be in Jesus Christ and Him alone. We ask you to do your work in hearts and lives tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. And let's just keep our heads bowed. We'll just have a verse or two of invitation. If you need to slip out and spend some time in prayer. the altar.